This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas, visiting today at Hagen Avicultural Research Center in Rigaud, Quebec, Canada. My topic today is the theory and philosophy behind the weaning process used at Hari. My guest is Josie Birmingham, Aviculturist and Facilities Director here at Hari. Welcome, Josie. Josie will share with us her ideas on what makes a parrot ready to be sent out to a pet store or avian specialty shop and how to choose that young bird once you make the decision to purchase a parrot. It's been an exciting visit here at Hari, and I hope to share with you some of the techniques employed at this interesting facility. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas. Barb is on the road, so I'm handling this one. And I was lucky enough to uh, be invited to visit at Hari, which is the Hagen Avicultural Research Center in uh, Quebec, Canada. And as I mentioned before, my guest today is Josie Birmingham. Welcome, Josie. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. And I guess the first question is, Josie, um, how did you get your start in aviculture? My start in aviculture was uh, approximately in 1985 when I was working in the pet stores. And we were, unfortunately, at that time, uh, had a lot of birds that were walk-up birds still, trying to find homes. Uh, The education of these birds was very challenging. And I had the privilege of receiving at the store the first 
captive bred blue and gold macaw from the original Harry uh, facility in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, This was the first baby raised um, completely on a pelleted diet. And uh, this baby arrived to the store at pre-weaned. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's how things were done then. It was, the wild caught was, you know, we all kind of uh, shrink back and, and, oh no, wild caught birds. But that was the norm then. The norm was completely uh, this. And, and for us to have uh, a captive bred young fledgling was definitely out of the ordinary. And we were very privileged. Unfortunately, at that time, uh, the education was lacking to uh, recognize the uh, necessity to have a lot of education at that age. So we cuddled the bird a lot oh, yeah. and did uh, extreme prolonged uh, feedings. And we had a wonderful baby uh, outcome with this blue and gold macaw that then became my personal pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the education was very limited. And, and from this then arised my desire to work in aviculture because I no longer wanted to have wild caught birds in the store. And my excitement then was increased when I found out Harry was going to be moving to Quebec. And I had a possibility at that time to go get training, uh, animal health degree technician program, and was Mark Hagen's recommendation to then perhaps find a position at Harry. Okay. It, and it's interesting, too, to mention, and I, I don't mean to blindside you with this question, but one of the things that's a big issue for our listeners is breeding. And why is breeding important? And I think you've brought up some good points about how far we've come from that wild-caught point. And now some people would argue that, you know, there are so many birds out in um, in rescues and things like that. But in my opinion, and I think yours as well, there's a necessity to the breeding that, that's occurring as long as it's done responsibly. Yes, as long as it's done responsibly. But I definitely endorse the uh, re-adoption mm-hmm. of birds that have gone through the puberty and young juvenile stage. Right. Uh, these birds have a lot to offer and are sometimes uh, quite easy to re-educate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even re-education, because in my mind, they've never been educated in the first it's place. It's education to begin uh, with. There, there has been numerous pitfalls with breeding companion birds in captivity. And unfortunately, uh, these mistakes are often realized a few years down the road, and uh, this, the same as pitfalls with ecotourism. Mm-hmm. Uh, in aviculture, I believe the pitfalls uh, mainly were seen at the beginning with uh, captive-bred cockatoos. And unfortunately, at that time, we did not realize that the over-petting of the birds and the prolonged weaning and the uh, lack of socialization with other birds and education were fundamental to their survival as a companion bird. Mm-hmm. And, and numerous breeders, such as we at Harry, stopped breeding cockatoos when we were alarmed with the increased rates of these birds being abandoned to shelters. Uh, was the species really at fault? I now question that. Realistically, I really question that, and I would not put my hand in fire to say that it is impossible. There are some species of cockatoo that could potentially make long-lasting pets. The problem is they're too easy to pet mm-hmm. and in the wrong way, and, and we've unfortunately done mistakes with husbandry recommendations, with housing, and with education. And, and the trends have gone, you can see the way things have changed, you can see the way people are handling birds now, and the education that people are looking for, and the rescues are doing, the majority of rescues are doing an amazing job. And their education, they're, they're taking over a position that we've learned probably should have happened 
in the beginning, at that weaning stage, at that in the breeding facility. That's when it should have happened, but it didn't. And to nobody's fault, we just didn't know that. Yes. The other thing we see that happens often in the pet industry and also at rescues is people uh, think that they made a mistake with the species that they chose, and so they have a bird that reaches juvenile age, they have problems with it, but they believe that if they go out and buy a new baby born directly from the breeders, and another species that will not fall into the same challenges. Mm -hmm. But this is not true. The education, I believe, is primordial at the pre-fledgling stage, mm -hmm. and it must be followed crucially for the first year of the bird's life. And it's not an option. It is uh, fundamental, mm -hmm. and it will ensure long-lasting companionship, I believe, or at least extend the possibility. And just to make another point also, I, I believe that people's lives change. I believe that people also change. And birds' desire to be with certain people change. Mm -hmm. And if a bird is well-educated at a young age, and this is carried through, this bird has higher chances of being relocated or readopted by mm -hmm. another foster home. And, and this is also the companion parrot owner's responsibility. And, and this would make the whole ethics of having these birds in captivity possibly a lot more sound. Absolutely. And I think what one of the things you're saying, if I'm understanding, is that you're giving them the fundamentals. And if we've come as an industry to the point where now, responsibly, if there is a breeder, they need to give them those fundamentals. And then when, you know, Susie, who owns the parrot, decides, I'm moving to a small apartment and I can't possibly keep this large macaw or whatever bird... Then and I have to give it up. It's not only Susie who can care for that bird. You haven't, as a companion parrot owner, created a situation where you're the only one that can care for that bird, and the bird also has the fundamentals. They have that basic knowledge that you've given them as a breeder that they can then they can either relearn. It's not even a relearning process. It's remember, if you will. If they haven't been treated that way all along, which they should have by the companion parrot owner, but if they haven't, for whatever reason, and we all fall into those holes. There's Life happens, and because you have a pet, that doesn't mean that life stops. And people need to stop, I use the term, beating themselves up. Yes. That they've made all these horrible mistakes, and what a terrible owner I am, and that's not necessarily true. It may be that life got in the way. And so now, but you've got, if you've got a bird that has gotten those fundamentals in the beginning, maybe when they're in a rescue or they're in a, you know, a rehoming situation, those will come back to the front for them if they've got that skill to start with. Absolutely. There's also great misconceptions over the years that when you acquire a bird and you're still syringe feeding the bird, the bird will bond more easily with you and everything's going to be okay because you hand-fed the bird. It has nothing to do with hand-feeding a bird. The education that is in stored in this bird is fundamentally more important than who fed the bird. Mm -hmm. And is the breeder's responsibility to go through a, a series of processes of um, integrating many, many training or uh, how would you call that? Uh, perhaps initiate the bird to a lot of different things that we'll be talking about afterwards. But, but I think that, that it, is, it is not necessarily healthy for a bird to go into someone's home that does not have acquired the knowledge or has the support to carry out this task. And, and, and I think, too, some of the fault that, that happens is when a, a, a bird is sold to a companion parrot owner and they're taught the very basics of feeding, you know, and they don't really know, but they want to do what's best for this bird. And I think a lot of times we take our animals and we, we make them children. We make it, you know, so that they're my child and, and if I feed them, they'll be happy. 
Yes. And overfeeding. And it's, it's through no fault and it's through no malice and it's well-intentioned and we've all done it at one point or another, either with a pet or with a child or with a companion. And I mean, in a lot of cases, food is love. Yes. I, I believe that in the recent years, uh, there has been a lot of movement towards uh, an education, and I believe that the, the public is quite aware of the dangers of selling an unweaned bird. Mm -hmm. But nobody is yet talking about what we call an uneducated bird. Right. And it's not, for me, an untrained bird, but it's an uneducated bird. And this has, has numerous pit pitfalls. Mm -hmm. And the, for the breeder to, uh, to familiarize these birds with all these different types of education is not necessarily time-consuming. It should give the breeder the pleasure, which is usually what, an, what incited him to start breeding. Uh, we spend, uh, I would guess, about 45% of our day doing husbandry, right. uh, doing health checks on our birds. The 15-20% of the day that's spent educating fledglings in the nursery is the most fundamental thing that we do. And, and it must be done, and it should not be reflected or viewed upon as being an expensive process right. or investment for the breeder. The most important thing now, the most difficult challenge that we have, we, we at Hari supply our birds, our pet stores, with uh, pet stores that have proven to educate their clients mm -hmm. in a very professional manner. These pet stores are rewarded, what we feel, and they feel as well now, and we're very happy about this, that they're rewarded with the opportunity to have a Harry baby. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it, it took several years to identify the pet stores that could actually uh, build a program of education and actually follow it through, despite the numerous turnovers of staff mm -hmm. that they're challenged with. But I believe that the education at the pet store, when the bird is spending a small part of, of its life there before being adopted into a home, is the most challenging for us at this point. If the birds were sold directly to the consumer, uh, we would not have the infrastructure right now to educate these people. Right. It is coming. We're working on it. Absolutely. But, but that would be even more difficult to educate on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you find in you know, the avian specialty shops and the, the responsible pet stores, they're doing some of that education. They're doing as much as, as yes. they can at this point in time. And I really have to say bravo to the companion parrot community. There's so many people who are becoming educated, who are going to seminars, who are learning these kind of techniques and I mean people who are listening today to this this podcast they want to learn they want to know what's out there they want to know what to how they can do it better yes and I think that's the thing and I've spent the weekend here with with Josie at Hari and one of the things Josie we've talked about is uh, best practices that best practices you shoot for the moon and you you do as much as you possibly can and you try to make it the very best that you can and if you fall a little short You've put that effort in. You know what the best you can possibly do is. And if you even come close to that, then it's a success. Absolutely. And the birds, I mean, I see, I've seen the birds here, and we'll talk more about, you know, the process. And But I've seen the way you work with your birds. And um, I will say, coming here, I was under the, the misconception that you had, you know, a battalion of staff that were at your disposal to, to work with. And it's really not that way here. It's, it's um, the hard work is done it's taken care of the cleaning and the feeding and and then the education piece with the birds which is so important and is you're right it's the fun part that happens at the end it but it happens yes absolutely and you know i've been to other facilities i've been you know to numerous uh, facilities and different breeders and one of the things you know it's always time time is important and the reality of it is time is money 
too. Yes. And But I think in the long run, and people will see this next generation of birds that's coming along with this education will make, hopefully, you know, depending on the economy and all of that, will not be, you know, ending up in the rescue as often. The percentages will hopefully go down a little bit with the kind of education that you're providing here. So it's it's so important. The philosophy we'll be talking about uh, on raising these young birds has um, has been tested by numerous independent breeders that have uh, lower scale breeding and do this very exceptionally mm-hmm. well. And we've also learned from them in what worked and what we thought was most exceptional with these uh, particular parrot breeders, mostly that we know in Quebec, because Quebec is definitely an outstanding model for aviculturalists mm-hmm. that do do a lot of education with their birds. And in the past two, three years, they've been able to sell their birds quite more expensive. And so the payback is there for the breeder that has invested a little bit more time and energy and ingenuity to develop new techniques to raise these birds more adequately. And and as a consumer of that product, I can tell you that the, the birds, you know, you're getting a better bird. It may cost a little bit more in the long run, but you're getting a better bird. Absolutely, without doubt. A bird that, that, I mean, and when you look at it, it has so many implications. It's it's not only behavior, it's not only socialization, it's feather quality. It's, we all talk about quality of life for our birds and we want them to be healthy. And there's so many pitfalls that, that happen. And if they've started out the right way and the education then continues to the consumer, Hopefully, though, you won't fall in as many of those holes. Absolutely. Um, the staff here at Harry keep being fascinated because we, we keep seeing numerous productions of DVDs and educational tools that spend so much time and energy giving really good advice on how to train birds to do things that our babies at Harry here are raised to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of an irony for us that we, we don't understand if we would stay here, why there's a necessity for that kind of education. But obviously, perhaps 95% of the birds that are sold are sold, uh, hopefully weaned, but the education is not there. Right, right. And, and so it, it is something that will be, I hope, a change in, a change in perception mm-hmm. as well. And, and perhaps the more people that are going to have experienced a trained baby will then have the conviction that this is possible. And I think some of these tools and these techniques that we're going to talk about are things that can be used in a rehoming situation. Absolutely. You, you know, you may feel like you're taking a step back, but you may need to because why did this bird end up in the rescue in the first place? It may be just, you know, it may be economics. It may be the family can't handle the, in their their physical setting anymore. But a lot of times it's, oh, my bird does screams or my bird does this or my bird, you know, bites or won't tolerate this or that. And a lot of the techniques you use here, and, and I know that a lot of uh, behaviorists use them as well, can be used in rehoming situations. We're going to have to take a break, but we'll be right back after these messages. Ah! Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. 
The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Robin Shawokas, and I'm here with uh, Josie from Hari. And we've been talking about critical training education that needs to happen with young birds. So, Josie, do you feel that there's a crucial period in a bird's life when this training, if it, you know, if it's implemented at an early age, if it's not a rehomed situation, is there a point where this is critical that it occur? Uh, we believe that the critical point for this is, is when our babies are still in their baby pens in the nursery. We kind of like to refer to it as the plateau phase of development for a chick where the bird starts to have emerging feathers from the shaft. So it's just post uh, pin feather stage. Okay. And uh, the first emergence of the feathers. At that time, the, the crucial window of opportunity that we cannot miss is the beginning of the weaning stages that we call. We have about five different weaning stages that we go through starting from that point. And it is uh, definitely in sync with the beginning of the misting of the chick so that the feathers can continue to emerge from the shaft very healthily. And the feathers are then definitely very well structured and formed and they're not damaged by dry environment. It also comes at the same time that we start introducing the aviator harness. We use the uh, harness that uh, Steve uh, has... uh, worked on for many years, Steve Hartman and Pirate University, and uh, we've had the pleasure of, of having an input from him several years ago, and he he explained to us how he uses it at that stage as mm-hmm. well in the nursery, and this was very interesting for us because we used to start the weaning at this stage, weaning process, of course, but uh, we had never started any kind of uh, training or desensitivity mm-hmm. to anything else at that point. Usually what we would start to do at this age is also familiarize the birds to different textures that are are in the towels that Mm -hmm. will then be used to train these birds or educate these birds or familiarize or let the birds become comfortable Mm -hmm. and cuddled or cradled in towels. And and we've been scrutinized by so many people over the years because we use towels on our birds, but we also raise our baby birds with them. And this is fundamentally a, a huge difference. The birds that are then sold and grow older and eventually have to go for a physical exam are usually trained to be in a towel should they need to be in a towel mm-hmm. for intervention of any kind. And and so these three things are, are started at the very, very young age. Well, I, Josie and I have spoken uh, this weekend about as someone who had a bird that was not towel trained, that was not given the benefit of this education um, because it was you know it wasn't in the forefront at that time when I got my bird who ended up in a towel at a veterinarian's office never having seen it before never having done it before as a completely new situation and if any of you have kaiks out there you know that little terrorized kaik noise that they make and Nikki my bird was making that sound if this had been, you know, introduced to him at an earlier age, Absolutely. it wouldn't have been as stressful. You know, we talk about stress and we don't want to stress our birds. 
this is one of those things. It's desensitization that you're doing. And I can tell you all, I had the privilege yesterday of watching Josie do um, an education session with the baby birds in the weaning room. And they were, it was miraculous for me to watch how comfortable these baby birds were with towels. And they're not, and it's not to say, oh, they're babies and they just don't understand. They do. I mean, it, it was, you know, it, there were games being played. It was, you know, oh, peekaboo, you're under the towel. And it was holding and, and, um, and not holding in a, a aggressive manner. The birds were so tolerant of what it was. And one of the things you were doing as well was you had food for them. Always food's in our hand. Um, yes. And so, you know, it was, it's, it's that, it's reinforcing that behavior. Absolutely. And, and I think all of that fits together so well with, you know, the trends that people want to do more training and they want to work with their birds and that relationship is developed, but it's not a relationship that only you have with these birds. Absolutely. I was, you know, sitting on the floor with Josie and we were working and the, she has a blue and gold. How old is the blue and gold? It's about 11 weeks. And we, you know, I was able to interact with this bird as well with not a problem at all. No. And I wasn't the least bit worried that this was going to turn into a negative situation for myself or the bird. Absolutely not. These birds are also socialized at a very young age to be familiar with sounds of dogs and the visual presence of dogs. Children. Mm -hmm. I have two children of my own that live here at the facility, and children are sometimes perceived by a lot of birds as they have very strong shrieking vocals, and they mm -hmm. get excited, and they move a lot. And, and this is very important for us to make sure that the birds are always familiarize with children, which wind up a lot in pet stores mm -hmm. and dogs as well. Most important as well, at the we talked about the towel training, but the towel training or familiarization is also linked directly with the preening of the chicks. And at Hari, we like to preen chicks, especially when chicks are not numerous in a clutch. We like to be able to train these birds to become uh, healthy uh, groomers mm -hmm. on their own and this requires a lot of time but if you combine this at the same time with a handful of dry granules or pellets or an extruded diet is what we usually recommend for weaning birds in your hand while you're petting with the other hand then it makes your time worthwhile because mm -hmm. you are definitely accelerating the weaning process uh, we do believe that macaws should get assistance feeding for uh, or accompanying feeding for several months post the weaning stage. But for us, we like the birds to leave the store when they've at least for one or two weeks or three weeks maintained their weight on their own without a scheduled supplemental feeding. And all these things combined together don't require a lot of time. No, and and it's you're almost doing two things at once. Or you three. Know, this is true. Yes. And the other part of the um, education uh, session that I saw with you yesterday was misting. Yes. And it was fabulous. You you know, you misted uh, the macaw that you were working with. And then the nice thing about watching Josie work the birds was that she was very aware when they had had enough. And I think that's important. It's like you wouldn't keep a child sitting in a classroom and force them to learn when you saw that they had that glazed over look in their eyes. That they, I'm done. I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going to take in any more information. And you know it about yourself. When you hit that point and you just can't possibly learn anymore. You know, we've all gone to those conferences where you're sitting in a seminar, and no offense to our colleagues that present, because we do it too, <laughs> but, um, you know, where you've got, okay, I've reached capacity, my brain is shutting off for today, and you can see that with your birds, and maybe it's a two-minute window, maybe it's a five-minute window, it really depends on the bird and, and what the inter how the interaction's going, but I watched Josie, and when it was an, enough was enough, the bird went up on a perch and began to preen, and it was remarkable to me that this young bird was 
was doing this activity and Josie had in essence taken over the job of that parent and taught them this. Yes and the fledglings then also teach each other. Uh, We allow a lot of our fledglings that have acquired the basic grooming which is quite instinctive I Mm -hmm. believe because they do it at a very young age but once they've learned and they and they get excited with the misting. The other younger fledglings usually uh, look at them and get excited, and there's less fear involved. Uh, we always mist ourselves too and get excited, so we do act a little more sillier than when we have guests like you <laughs> over at Harry. But but this is all part of our fun, and and we need to also call out with the birds, mm-hmm. and and this is important. But there's times for that, and there's also quiet time for a siesta. Uh, Our nurseries often have shut lights, and we often have very dim lights. We don't open up lights uh, drastically Mm -hmm. when we come in in the morning. Uh, Birds are allowed to talk to us, but they don't get immediately fed when we arrive close to the cage. Uh, The other important thing, we we talk a lot about towel training, but the other very important thing is it's, it's, we believe, very important to train the birds or desensitize the birds to a stethoscope to get their mouth inspected for the coenal papilla, which we looked at at the blue and gold macaw. Right. He actually had no problem with that. So at a veterinarian exam, there's no need to use any kind of forceful manner to look inside of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ears can get uh, definitely inspected. The bird uh, can be easily rolled over in a towel, and then the cloaca or the breast muscle can be inspected without any kind of mm-hmm. restraint. And this is very important. The most challenging for us is is we weren't sure how fast we could get the birds trained or desensitized to the Dremel Salon Manicure, which is the one that we use, which is a very inexpensive, cordless, and uh, it emits no sound. The stone, the grinding stone that we use is white, and it has no abrasive, practically no abrasive value to it. And we desensitized the birds to this within one or two sessions by putting the Dremel device on our hands Mm -hmm. and making it vibrate on our hands. And then the birds get fascinated with it. And within one or two sessions, then the Dremel device actually goes onto their sharp, sharp, sharp fledgling nails, but we definitely don't abuse of that. We are definitely preoccupied with uh, young birds getting their flight feathers groomed and their nails dremeled at the same time. We think that takes away all the confidence from the birds, and our babies would then start to bite. It takes them a long time to acquire confidence perching. This might seem like it's not that important, but they, meet, they need to learn at a very young age that there's different textures that they can perch on. We, we usually really recommend for the birds to be housed in a fledgling house uh, enclosure for the first six months. And usually in these fledgling enclosures, there'll be nothing else but a rope perch and perhaps a natural uh, maple perch. But we also uh, like to have the birds accustomed to or familiarized with other textures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also uh, believe definitely that the birds, that's the number one thing that we actually train our birds to, is to stand up on a scale. Basic stand up and step down command. We don't even have to lure them with uh, sunflower seed or anything else. The appraisal they're getting is our, our enthusiasm with this. And the bird learns quickly in the morning that that's what he has to do to be told that he's a good bird and that we're proud of him. And, and this is for us fundamental because at this age it is crucial that the birds get weight daily. And this is something that we hope is going to be pursued in the future. All of these these things are so, it's a, a lot to discuss in a short period of time, but all of these things are so positive. And I, you know, I watched you do the Dremel training yesterday, and that was the first time, perhaps, that the blue yes. and gold, there was no fear. There were no, oh. the bird showed no signs of, of um, any fear re- that I would label as a fear response. There was no pulling away. There was no, 
you know, the eyes weren't pinning, none of it was going on. And it was just, oh, this is something new for me to explore. And when you think, you know, I know we don't anthropomorphize, but when you think in terms of children and that window that you have when they, they start to explore and they want to find everything and learn new things, it's the same with these baby birds. Absolutely. And we have a very strict rule here that we don't allow toys of any kind uh, we make a small exception for foraging devices, but those come in a little later when the birds are pre-weaned. And this is fundamental for us. If we put any foot toys in the cage, or we put any kind of toys to grab their attention, we will not have successful weaning in an appropriate time that we feel is healthy for the bird. Mm -hmm. And and this is very important as well. The window of opportunity is dramatically short. And right. You have to take advantage of it. And it's not like you're depriving the, the birds of that the toy. There's still playing that goes on. The 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 towel is almost a toy, and it, the dremel is. is a toy, and your interaction with them is is a, a form of play, you know. And even though they're learning, it's not that you're putting them in these weaning cages and not doing anything. You know, they're not doing anything that's enjoyable. They, I, these birds seemed really, um, you know content with doing what they were doing. Absolutely. And just on a last note, perhaps, because I, I believe we're coming close to we can. to our time, but it's it's also very important, and we have the privilege of, of having kept back several second gen birds for, for future generation breeding. And this uh, luxury, of course, was, was uh, definitely a priority from Arkagan, that, that is the director here of the facility. But uh, in the 1985s, you know, we were already st starting to keep a lot of our Amazons back and a lot of our macaws back. Unfortunately, in those days, we also made mistakes, and we were going to keep on making mistakes, I'm sure. sure. Uh, but we were not socializing the birds the way we should. At that time, you know, uh, of course, the, 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 the thought was that these parents had to be absolutely, completely parent-raised. And this is still something that we thrive for. We really enjoy having a breeding pair uh, raise a baby for the first year. And despite the fact that this will stop us from double clutching this, this breeding pair, it, it's worth it. But there's also the exceptional pair that uh, we will have an egg in the incubator and we will need this genetic bird. And it will be a good-natured bird and it will be a sweet bird with beautiful colors and character traits. And we're tempted to sell this bird because we know that the potential of this bird as a companion will be extraordinary. These are the birds that we like to keep back as well. They stay now in our fledgling room in educational, what we call our educational baby room, perhaps for the first year of their life. And they also participate in these kinds of training. Right. This makes our birds that we use, that we have here as part of our breeding flock, a lot less uh, fearful of the restraint techniques that will be used on them for regular physicals and blood sampling and everything mm -hmm. else, and for transferring from one flight to the other. Uh, and, and this is really important, and this definitely makes our job a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Now, right now at Harry, we have our young juveniles that were transferred into our breeding rooms. Therefore, we did not have these birds right now because mm -hmm. we're pretty much a, in a non-breeding situation at this time of the year. But, but normally, this takes away a lot of our job because they do a lot of the education with the preening. They mm -hmm. do a lot of the education with the flight as well. And, and they're so familiar with all these tools and, and rolling into the towels that they actually teach the other birds not to be fearful of mm -hmm. this. So for the weaning, it, that's undeniable. When you have a bird that has successfully weaned, it's so much easier to put a younger bird and for, for him to learn with this bird. So I would say that brings down the work that you have to contribute to it by half. Right. And, and this is very important. Birds need to be, uh, at a fun, very young age, introduced to a flock. Whether this bird will 
perhaps unfortunately live only in one bird home. And, and that can be okay if, you know, the polyvisions are integrated in a lot of... And the individual, I mean, the, yes. I talk about that too, you become the flock. If Absolutely. you have a single bird at your home, you're the one that's screaming first thing in the morning with them when they get up and at the end of the day Absolutely. when they go to, to sleep. So you're filling in that, that need, but they know what a flock is and how to how to function as a member of a flock yes and i know so many parrot companions that do well with their bird they have a dog in the right. house that's supervised of course the interaction but we have so many pet birds that we know that live very well as well but they've still integrated themselves within a, not a bird flock but within a varied flock mm -hmm. of humans and dog or perhaps another bird and sometimes they're passerines they're not necessarily parrots and, and so this is very important. The need is also very important too that breeders start realizing that they must breed these birds. And, and if you have only one bird in your clutch, it's fundamental, we feel, that this bird be integrated at a young age with another bird of the same or a different species. Right. And this is very important. And well. I think one of the, th just really quickly, Josie, because we, we are running out of time, but when people are going out, if they decide, they make the decision to purchase a young bird, We've touched on things, you know, the towel training, the desensitization. You're looking for a calmer bird, yeah? And you're looking in the store if it's if it's not a bird who's real nervous or, you know, shying away. And what if you had to, three things quickly? Well, I think, and we also toured a lot of wonderful pet stores right. in Montreal. Oh, it's amazing. The elite stores, uh, I would think, in, in Canada, and some of the elite stores, because there's wonderful stores in Canada, we're blessed with this. But uh, a bird that's been well socialized, a bird that's been exercised, a bird that hasn't been a couch potato in a cage for numerous years right. or numerous months. Not necessarily an unweaned bird, unless right. you know what you're doing, and mm -hmm. you have guidance, and, and guidance can be acquired. Sure. But I it's not impossible. I mean, I think yeah. that's, you know, it's not best practices. You don't, an unweaned bird is not your, shouldn't be your first choice. It shouldn't be, I want an unweaned, uh, we discussed earlier for bonding. Yes. But you just, you know, it's something to look for. So again, it was, this was short, but maybe we'll do another one. Absolutely. Um, that would be a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining thank me. You. And thank you for my visit here at Hari. It's been wonderful. Just some quick upcoming events. I will be on May 16th at the Florida West Coast Avian Society. They're having an annual bird mart, and I'll be doing a quick presentation there. July 17th and 18th, I'll be doing a raptor handling class in uh, New Mexico with avian ambassadors. On uh, July 24th, Barbara and I will both be doing a seminar on training and enrichment for NPRPF. You can check out their website. Uh, August 4th through the 7th, uh, Josie and I will both be presenting at AFA, American Federation of Aviculture in St. Petersburg, Florida. Josie will be at the Eastern Canadian Avian Association on uh, Sunday, August 22nd in Moncton, New Brunswick. Um, and that'll be at the Mapleton Lodge. And Barb's going to be uh, May 8th through the 9th, a parrot training workshop in uh, Curacao. Um, wish we could all jump in our luggage, eh? And then June 12th through the 13th, Barb will be at in New York City at Fauna. Um, and July 31st, she will be in San Diego speaking um, with peace. And you can check out all the dates on my website or uh, on Barb's website at goodbirdinc.com. You can check out the interesting things they're doing at Hari. You can go to hagen.com backslash Hari, H-A-R-I, and see some of the, the things that they're doing here. We always, you know, hope that you'll visit theleatherelves.com, goodbirdinc.com. Avianenrichment.com is a wonderful uh, opportunity. 
you can download, um, Josie uh, produced a wonderful publication called Parrot Life uh, Magazine. And that's available on the website for free, and you can download. Uh, we have three or four issues up right now that are free downloadables. Amazing information with checklists and forms, and you know sometimes you run into that. I wish I had a way just to organize things, and the, some of the checklists in there are amazing. The enrichment tip of the week for this week: make sure and enrich, and don't frustrate your birds. You know, when we talk about young birds, we've touched on some of the things you need to provide, but make sure the opportunities you provide for your bird are appropriate for their level of ability and assess whether the enrichment's meeting the goals that you've established. All enrichment should be goal-oriented and, and just especially, you know, with the younger birds, you may need to teach them to interact with some of the things that you're giving Absolutely them. Absolutely agree. Um, you know, I, I talk about the foraging. It, it shouldn't be, you know, a 42-step process in the beginning. Maybe your bird's brilliant and in the end they'll be doing that 42-step process, but it can be something so simple as covering a bowl or something like that. So just keep it simple when you're when you're starting out and make sure that they're appropriate to their level of ability. So again, thank you Josie for joining me. It was a pleasure. I'm out of time here. Um, you can contact us if you have suggestions or questions. You can contact Robin at PetLifeRadio.com or Barbara at PetLifeRadio.com. And as always, please visit www.PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.